It's a Thursday, which means Rebecca Davis is online for Plan B. Rebecca, it has been a while, my dear. Good afternoon. It has, Africa. How are you? I'm very, very well. Thank you very much. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. Excited to talk to you. We start with the news that the final Zondo report is yet to see Day of Light. Or is that the proper English? (laughs) (laughs) Who cares at this stage? Democracy is in crisis. No, we don't know even if it is the final report. So, as you might recall, Zondo was granted his sixth extension until the end of April. So we know that the final, all of it, all papers related to this final report have to be in by the end of April. But it's unclear whether Zondo was actually required by the court to submit the penultimate report by the end of March and the second one at the end of April or whether it was merely his initiative. Because we do know that he has said there are going to be still two tranches of reports, right? The question is whether he was court mandated to produce one of them at the end of March. Because if that is true, all the others you might remember have come right at the end of the month and they're given to the presidency. We normally see them on the first or the second of the month. It's now the seventh. There's no sign of this report. Why does this matter? Well, it worries me, Africa. It worries me for a number of reasons. The first is, as I've mentioned, that this was the sixth extension, and now he's overrun that extension, theoretically. That costs money. Every day that the Zondo Commission runs all its investigators, its officers, its lawyers, etc., that costs money, a lot of money that the public is paying for. We also know that Zondo doesn't write these reports personally, and that's very clear from the fact that the different reports have very different styles, different levels of detail, etc. Some of them are noticeably quite vague, big picture. Others are highly, highly detailed. So it's not like Zondo himself is sitting up till midnight with a quill pen, frantically writing out these, these reports. So why would it be delayed now? Well, the obvious answer is because Zondo is busy this week, right? He's doing the JSC hearings, the Judicial Appointment Commission interviews and he apparently from what we hear is the guy who is still very dedicated to signing off on each report to checking that it's right and we want him to be this kind of conscientious person obviously but unfortunately Africa the delays now do give a little bit of credence to the critics who said that when Zonda was appointed as chief justice he would simply have too much to juggle obviously it is manifestly unfair to judge a chief justice after literally seven days formally in the role. But it is clear that he is already struggling to maintain the administration of the State Capture Commission and the JSC and the chief justice position already. Yes, finally the Zondo Commission stuff will end, hopefully at the end of April. And he said he will simply not sit in any legislation. So after that, hopefully it'll be over. But in general, in general, it doesn't bode well for Zonda's administrative ability. Then, Sorry, Africa. The other reason why I'm worried about it, right, is because you remember that this is in some ways just the beginning. Once Zonda has given the final report to President Ramaphosa, Ramaphosa has to submit the report to Parliament and then he has four months to indicate his plan of action, what he's going to do to implement that. So already we are so behind in this process. I mean, if this process has been sort of the autopsy of state capture, we're going to wait another six months, basically, to even hear what is going to be done about it, let alone before we see arrests or whatever or any kind of structural change. Every day that passes, you know, the prospect of accountability seems further and further away. And actually, Africa, I think the media has been very restrained in not putting a lot of pressure on Zonda, particularly at this time. And I think it's because, honestly, I don't know about you, 
So a lot of us feel sorry for him. We feel like mm. he is overburdened. He is clearly a very conscientious man doing his best. But bear in mind, Africa, how much we still have to cover by the remaining Zonda reports. We still have to cover Free State Asbestos Project, Free State Housing Project, the State Security Agency and Crime Intelligence, ESCOM, PRASA, the attempted capture of national treasury, the closure of the Gupta bank accounts, the Estina Dairy Project, whether and how parliamentary oversight failed, SABC and ANN7, the city of Johannesburg's transport tenders, and that's before the overall picture. And I'm not making this up out of my intuition. This is what Zonda said in court, still had to come. So these are massive topics, Africa. Some of them, like ESCOM, affect literally every single one of us. We all deserve to know how ESCOM was captured and what it has meant. And the problem is that if he's going to deliver us these bundle and bundle of reports in this frantic rush, one of the natural effects that you know and I know as journalists is that we're not going to have the time to process that properly for the public. The public is not going to have the right opportunity to sit with it and understand what it means. And ultimately, it's going to affect the impact of this whole state capture procedure. This is a very long-winded way of saying Africa. Please, please, Chief Justice, please, Justice Zondo, get us those reports. We will clip this conversation, Rebecca, and mail it to the Chief Justice so that he can hear your pleas. Because at the moment, obviously, he's busy mid-interviews at the JSC mm-hmm. and is not able to listen to us. Um, are you one of those employees who has taken to coasting at work as the pandemic has taken effect? I guess not, Rebecca. You know, the problem is, Africa, that it's quite hard for you and me to coast without being spotted, I feel. <laughs> you know? If you're going to sit there on mic and just sort of twiddle your thumbs and play ad after ad and never speak or take a call. People are going to notice. Likewise, if I write an article that basically is, you know, a collection of tweets, people are also going to notice. But a recent survey of American workers suggests that as many as 40% are currently coasting in their jobs. What does that mean? It doesn't mean like not showing up or showing up late. It means getting there and doing the bare minimum. You know, responding to emails, making sure your manager sees you to be working occasionally or has the impression that you are but never making extra effort, never going beyond deadline, etc. And the reason they think that this situation has grown more acute is twofold. Firstly, it's the pandemic, which has left a lot of people generally feeling kind of disillusioned about work and life even. And secondly, remote working, that, you know, there is some research to suggest that people work harder at home, but this also seems to suggest not everyone, very much not everyone, without your boss's beady eyes on you, some people are definitely slacking. Now, the question is, is this a bad thing? Obviously, I mean, I'm not convinced it is. I actually searched the internet on the subject of coasting in the workplace. And I saw that Forbes, no less an authority than Forbes, the business publication, suggested a few years ago that strategic coasting is actually good for everyone. What that means is if you're coming up to a period at work where there's something else going on in your life, perhaps you have a sick partner, kid, whatever, you're training, it is okay occasionally to take your foot off the gas pedal and just phone it in for a limited period if you know you're not urgency need. The question is, what happens when we're all coasting Africa? And I would be very curious to hear from your listeners, are there people out there in Cape Town who admit they are doing the absolute bare minimum at work? And if so, will you please call in and tell us your motivations? Please do. The number is always 021-446-0567. We're happy to give you pseudonyms and we'll make up names for you (laughs) and then share with us how you have managed to successfully coast for the last two years. I was never a fan of 
cloning, Rebecca. I, I understand the health benefits to cloning my heart, for example, in order to create regenerative cells that I can use for a future ailment. Appreciate that. But the notion of cloning a whole human being is something that I've genuinely been opposed to. And I think I would apply the same rule when it comes to animals. I was wondering how far we are in South Africa when it comes to cloning. And then I recalled with the aid again of my friend Google that as far back as 2003, we had the first African cloned cow born in Brits, believe it or not, in Northwest. Pioneering Brit scientists produced Footy, who was a cloned cow. I don't know what's become of Footy. I suppose Footy is quite old by now. I'm mentioning this because of recent reports that pet cloning is absolutely on the rise, at least it seems among I hate to generalize, but white people with a lot of money because those are the only examples that I can find. Simon Cowell has done it. Barbara Streisand has done it. There are companies who claim that it is literally becoming more and more common every year. And the price has actually gone down a bit too. I'm using that very loosely and relatively speaking. It used to be that in South African rands, I mean, you couldn't do it here. You'd have to go overseas anyway, but you'd pay over a million to clone your pet. Now you can get it done. 700,000 romps for a dog and 500,000 for a cat. Absolute steal. And to be fair, Africa, I actually do think there are many people who would say, if I had the money, I would do that because my pet means so much to me. Really? I would rather go to the SPCA and adopt a new cat or a new dog. Because you're a good person. But many of us are, you know, emotionally attached to our pets in ways that are hard and almost impossible to rationalize. But here's what I never thought of Africa. So first of all, apparently cloned animals have bigger health problems, right? It is not all that surprising because, you know, this is basically satanic magic. I'm joking about that. It's science, but, I mean, who knows how it works. But I never considered the fact that just with people, if you clone a pet, there's absolutely no guarantee it will have the same personality. I mean, this is really not an exact science, but they estimate that about 25% of a pet's personality, behavior, etc., is derived from nature rather than nurture. I mean, nurture rather than nature, which is to say the way that you raise it. So it's not just that you want to clone, you know, Mr. Wifflepuff or whatever your cat's name is. It's that you also have to raise Mr. Wifflepuff 2 in exactly the same way as Mr. Wifflepuff 1 in order to produce the same outcome. So that means, you know, where were you living at the time? What was your house like? Did you have kids around? Did you have a partner at the time? You have to replicate. You have to turn back the hands of time on your entire existence in order to produce a cat who you think will reward you in the same way as Mr. Whipple one. And that's after your 500,000 rand in the red. Are you sold? I no. I would I would rather find an incredibly talented young child who I can take through schooling with that amount of money and as I said earlier go to the SPC and get another dog or a cat I'm afraid. And I fully resonate with the concerns you're raising, right? Will it be the same personality? You'll see a, a spitting image of your previous cat, but instead of coming to you when you go, mm, it's gonna go the other way direct no, no, I'm I'm not sold on that at all, Rebecca. I mean, I, I, I have to agree. In fact, it has to make me a horror movie. You might recall that movie Boys from Brazil when it was hit, the clones of Hitler all over the mm. world. Imagine having your little cat there, but it's evil. That is one potential outcome, I think. And I think we need to think about this more as humanity. I think we do. Rebecca, lovely chatting to you as always. Rebecca Davis back next week, Thursday, in a normal time with John Matham.